Please take your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We'll be continuing Colossians 1 this evening. There is a, uh, there's a conversation at my house that keeps popping up. Uh, this may be something, a conversation that comes up in your house as well. Uh, and it usually goes something like this. Jen tells me something, and I get kind of a puzzled look on my face, and I say, I don't think you told me that. And she looks at me and says, I told you that. And I was still trying to figure out and ponder and say, I don't think you told me that. And then she proceeds to tell me, no, I was standing here, and I told you this, and you were wearing this, and I was wearing that, and I told you this. And they're like, yes, you did. <laughs> then sometimes it works the other way around. Uh, in which uh, Jen and I are getting ready to go do something, and uh, I say, all right, we need to go do this. And uh, she says, you didn't tell me that. And I say, yeah, yeah, I told you that. Yeah, I told you that we needed to go do that. And she says, no, you, you didn't tell me that. And uh, <laughs> this, is, this is a conversation that comes up uh, every once in a while uh, in my house, and uh, maybe happens uh, in your house as well. Uh, there, have, there have even been a few times where I've gotten real excited to tell Jen something and gone to her and said, you know, did you know this happened? And she looks at me and says, I was the one who told you that. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm 30 years old, but the, uh, the memory uh, is a little bit beyond that. Uh, Honestly, I struggle with my memory sometimes. Uh, I'm a little bit forgetful. And I blame my dad for this. Uh, I was, when, my, when I was, somebody said something. <laughs> well, yeah, I knew it was probably him. When I was younger, my sister and I would make fun of my dad all the time. Because the common thing that he would say was, well, I've lost blank. You know, he, I've lost my keys. I forgot where I put my keys. I forgot where I put my code. I forgot Whatever. It was, this was always going on. This is a man who could control organizational policy for large organizations and know every exact detail that needed to be done. But when it came to remembering his keys or where he put something, he couldn't remember it at all. And so I made fun of him until I got to be doing the exact same thing myself. And so now it's, uh, it's to the point where Jen probably feels sorry for me or maybe angry with me, I don't know, uh, because I forget things regularly. And we all do this to one degree or other, we all forget things. We get busy, things slip our minds, and, and we just forget. But then there are some things that we have in our lives that we don't forget, but we just don't remember the significance of some things. Like take our families, for example. None of us forget our families. We don't forget that we have a spouse. You know, it's not like you forget and say, oh, I've got a child, you know, and you forgot that. You don't forget those kinds of things. But there are times that we forget the significance of our families. We get busy, caught up in the day-to-day -day things, and we're just going through our routine and the busyness of life, and we just don't take time to remember the significance of our families until maybe something happens. And then we're reminded just how much our spouse means to us, how much a child means to us, how much family means to us. The same thing happens sometimes with Scripture. You know, none of us would ever forget 
that God is God. None of us would ever forget that Christ died on the cross. We would never forget that God's in control. But there are times when through the business of life and everything that we have going on that sometimes we forget the significance of the cross. And sometimes we don't remember the significance of the majesty and glory of God. You see, when we remember the significance of something, it affects the way we live. When you remember the significance of your family, that affects how you interact with them, how you talk to your spouse, how you view your kids, how you love your brother or your sister or your mom or your dad. When we remember the significance of Christ and of the cross, that affects the way that we live. Remember, everything that we've been talking about in the book of Colossians is pointing us toward the supremacy of Christ. And so Paul is reminding the people there at the church at Colossae, remember the supremacy of Christ. And tonight we're going to view a passage in which Paul points us to remember a couple of things. And so I want you to to turn to Colossians chapter 1 if you haven't already. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19 is where we're going to be beginning. Remember, this is a church that's doing well. It's a church that now is facing some challenges, false philosophy, false teaching that is going on. And in the midst of this, Paul says, I want to point you toward Christ and for you to keep your eyes upon Christ. And now in the passage that we're going to turn to, Paul says, remember what God has done. And so Paul is going to point us to some things that we need to remember, starting In verse 19, I want to read this whole passage and then we'll come back to point out several things. Starting in verse 19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Paul tells the believers there at Colossae to remember some things. The first thing that they're to remember is to remember what you were. If you're taking notes, you jot that down. Remember what you were. Listen again to what Paul says in verse 21. I want you to listen to this, hear this. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Now, did you notice the way that that they were described there? There are three descriptions that are given of them. It says that they were, number one, uh, they were alienated. Number two, they were hostile in mind. Number three, they were engaged in evil deeds. Now, I want us to stop for a few minutes and just walk through these terms and just see what what is Paul saying about them. All right, first of all, they were alienated. This, This gets to the core of who they were. Paul is saying that they were alienated from God. Think about some different words that we could use to describe that. They were alienated. They were separated. They were apart from. They were uh, estranged. Uh, There was this wide gulf that was between them and between God. All right? They were also hostile in mind. 
the, the literal Greek re rendering here is that they were enemies of their minds. Enemies of their minds. The, uh, the word mind there is basically a synonym for heart. So Paul's saying that they were enemies by nature of their very heart. And then he says that they were engaged in evil deeds. Now I want you to notice what the text is doing here. Paul is saying that they were alienated and they were hostile, and then that led to evil deeds. He is pointing to the fact that at their core, the very nature of who they were, they were, they were alienated. The very nature of who they were, they were estranged, separated from God. And because of those things, those things led to them being engaged in evil deeds. Their hearts were bad, and so because of that, out of that flowed the evil deeds that they were engaged in. Now, <coughs> these people were total pagans. These were people who were Gentiles, and they had been part of uh, the Roman Empire, and they would have worshipped all the false gods that were part of the Roman Empire. So this is basically what we'd expect of them, that they were aliens, that they were hostile to God. They were bowing down to Zeus or to, to whatever false god it was uh, that they were worshipping as part of being good Romans. So we would expect Paul to say that, that they were aliens, they were estranged, that they were apart uh, from God. But throughout the New Testament, and really throughout the whole Bible, we see that it's not just those folks, but this is written about everyone. Everyone is described in this way. I want to read just a few passages that describe who people are. And I want you to take note and listen of how people are described. First passage is Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 10. This is a passage you've heard before. And Paul writes, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is a pretty harsh description of humanity. Their throat's an open grave. No fear of God before their eyes. None who does good. The poison of asps, of poisonous snakes, is under their lips. Now listen to what he says also in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Paul says that we were by nature, the core of who we are, children of wrath, deserving of God's wrath. Paul says that every single one of us, every single person that's ever lived, is dead in their trespasses and sins. Not sick, not just hurting, but dead dead in their trespasses uh, and sins. And in Jeremiah 17, 9, uh, this, this is the verse that just sums up who we are as people. And I like the way the King James puts it. King James says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart is 
deceitful above all things, and it's desperately wicked. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the heart of every single person is desperately, desperately wicked? All right, let's, let's take, for example, my boy. Caleb is back in the nursery. Uh, he is, without a doubt, the cutest baby. I keep a picture of him on my phone. There's one right here. And he's sucking his toe. And that's just cute. I mean, he is the cutest baby. Now, could it be said about him that his heart is deceitful and desperately wicked? I mean, he's cute. Is he desperately wicked? Yes. His heart is desperately wicked. And the older he gets, the more I see that. He, uh, when he was first born, really there wasn't much that he could do. He could lay there and cry. As he's gotten older, he has gained intellectual ability and physical ability. The more intellectual ability he gets and the more physical ability he gets, the more he's able to get into trouble. And he loves to get into trouble. And there are certain things that we have told him and trying to keep him out of, and it just doesn't happen. There's a, there's a corner cabinet we have in our kitchen, and it's a, a Lazy Susan. And there are some things on that Lazy Susan that he really likes to chew on, uh, like food coloring and, and things like that. That's really not good for him to chew on. <laughs> no matter how many times that we smack his hand and pull him away from that, he continues to go toward that. And when we do that, he will put his hand on it and look up. And he looks like with a determined face, like his, his mind is working. How can I do this and not get in trouble for it? And then he just decides, well, I'll just do it anyway. <laughs> the heart is desperately wicked. Even, even from the time of less than a year old boy, his heart is turned towards sin. No one has had to teach him that. But he joyfully runs away from what his parents want him to do because his heart is wicked. Now what about us? Do you believe that about us? Are we desperately wicked? Is our heart deceitful? Don't be deceived. Every person that has ever lived has had a desperately wicked heart. And that includes me and you. Now, you may be like me and look back on your life, and you can't look back at your life and just see how you were a bank robber or some horrible, dreadful thing before you became a Christian. I was basically what you'd call a good person. So, was I really desperately wicked in my heart? Yes. Here's the thing. It's only because of the restraining grace of God, of the common grace of God, that I wasn't out doing as much sin as possible. It's only because of the common grace of God, the restraining grace of God that's, that's at work in our lives, that we didn't fly off the handle and just be as horribly wicked as possible. 
Now, most of you all, everybody in here has heard the story of the Titanic, right? Uh, Titanic ship that, that went down in 1912. Well, April the 10th, 1912, the Titanic set out on its maiden voyage, its only voyage. And when it left, it, it left with about 2,000 passengers or so. And I would say that those passengers, for the most part, would say that they were basically good people. None of them would look at themselves, I would say, and think, I'm a horrible, evil person, I, I'm, a, I'm a murderer, I'm capable of, of horrible, horrible deeds. But four days later, after the Titanic left out, it hit an iceberg, as you know, at 11.30 or 11.40 uh, on the 14th of April of that year. Less than three hours later, the Titanic sank. Before it sank under the water, there were 18 lifeboats that were sent out. And those lifeboats were capable of each holding at least 65 people. But the majority of those boats were only filled half full or less. One boat only had 12 people in it, and a boat capable of holding 65. When the boat went into the water, hundreds of people were there, thrown into the water, 28 degrees, literally just minutes away from death if they weren't rescued. Those 18 lifeboats rowed away from the ship, and only two went back. 16 lifeboats waited back, maybe half full, while they listened to the screams of the drowning and the dying. And they each said, I'm not going to go over there to help them. Only a handful were plucked from the sea, while hundreds of people stood by and just listened to people die with making no effort to go after them. Now, none of those folks before that time would have said, I'm an evil person. I'm capable of just watching somebody die. But so many of them, that's what they did. See, the heart is desperately wicked. It really, truly is. And often we don't even recognize how sinful, deceitful, desperately wicked the heart can be. So Paul reminds these people, remember what you were. Remember the nature of who you were. But also, I want you to remember what you are now. I want you to remember what Christ has done. Let's go back and let's read this again. Now keep in mind the nature of what we are as people. And now listen to, again, what Christ has done. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Now remember again the nature of who we are. And although you were formerly alienated, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. You were wicked. Your heart was evil and turned away from him, but you have been reconciled. That is an amazing truth. You who had your hearts desperately wicked turned away have now been 
reconciled, brought back to him. That word reconcile is a word that was used commonly in the Greek language. It was used to describe a, a, two, a couple that had been married but had been separated. When they were brought together, they were reconciled. The Greek word is kat- katalasso. But that's not the word that's used here. That's the common word for reconciliation. What he does here, Paul says, apokatalasso. He adds a preposition to the front of it. And what that does in the Greek is it, it intensifies the meaning of it. And so basically what Paul is saying here is not just that you have been reconciled, but you have been completely reconciled. You have been perfectly reconciled. You who were alienated, estranged, far off, separated by a gulf that could not be bridged have now been brought back into perfect relationship with God. Not by anything that you could do, not by anything that you could work yourself, but by God's wrath being taken away, but by God granting us holiness that is not our own. Listen to this again. Although you were formerly alienated, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death the death of Christ on the cross you who were so far away and hopeless in yourself have been brought into fellowship with God hopeless and now in relationship with him and Paul says that now he presents you holy and blameless and beyond reproach now I don't know about you but But there are a lot of times in my life where I don't look holy, where I don't look blameless, where I don't look beyond reproach. So what is it Paul means there? Well, he's not talking about our current state of whether we sin or not, because we all continue struggling with sin. But he's talking about our position before the Father, that we are now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That when God looks at me, he doesn't see the sinfulness of who I am. He sees the perfect righteousness of Christ when he views me. This is perfect reconciliation. This is perfectly bringing us back into fellowship with him, taking away our sin and clothing us with the righteousness of Christ. Now, is there a greater thought than remembering that, than knowing that? That should blow our minds. That should make us stand in worship, remembering that. But it gets even better. It gets even better. Look back at verse 19, what he says. I want you to catch this. Verse 19, he says, It was the Father's good pleasure. Catch that. Hear it again. It was the Father's good pleasure good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself it gave God joy it pleased God for the son to take bodily form it pleased God for the son to go to the cross do we know that do we see that it gave God pleasure to take someone like me so abundantly turned away it gave God pleasure for the son to bear the wrath the full wrath of the father and for me to now be reconciled to him amen Amen. 
That is an amazing truth. Isaiah 53.10 says, The Lord was pleased to crush him. Pleased to crush him, putting him to death. Do we get this? Do we get the ramifications of this when we remember that? Do we get the significance of how that affects our life when we remember that it gave God pleasure to reconcile us to himself? If we are regenerate and we've gone from death to life, from being an object of wrath to being an object of God's unending love, that is good news. So this is a church that was doing well. Paul tells them, remember. Remember where you were and remember what Christ has done, how he has reconciled you. But he throws something in. I want you to listen to what he says in verse 23. You have been reconciled. Catch this now in verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel you have heard, you have been reconciled if you continue in the faith. It's only if you continue. It's only if you remain steadfast that you can say that you were really reconciled. Paul understands that there may be people in this body. Paul understands there may be people as part of this church who were there and active in the church, but they may leave and may fall into sin. And if they do that and never return, the fact is that they were never reconciled to begin with. And this is something that's all throughout the New Testament. Think about, think about the parable of soil, soils that Jesus told. You remember that parable? Jesus told about the four soils. And he said that there was seed that was sown beside the road. Uh, and what happened? Birds ate it. And Jesus said, well, this, this describes Satan taking away what was sown. Then what was the second seed that was sown? It was sown on the the rocky soil. You remember what happened to that seed? They, it describes a person who received it joyfully at first, but then they fall away from suffering or persecution. Then there's the third soil. This is, this is the seed that's, that's sown among the thorns. It grows very well at first, but then after a while, it's choked out by the cares of the world and the concerns of everything going on in the world. And then there's that last soil. That's the seed that falls on good soil. And what happens to it? Produces a crop, produces fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Now, which one of those was the truly reconciled person, the truly regenerate, converted person? It's just the last one. Now, some of those in there got excited. They were active for a while, but, but they were choked away. It was only the last one that was truly converted there may be some in the church who start out well but end up leaving Paul says they were never reconciled to begin with John 8 31 Jesus says same thing if you if you continue in my word then you are truly disciples of mine first John 2 19 John says they went out from us but they were not really of us for if they had been of us they would have remained with us but they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us those that go out do not return. They were never of us to begin with. If someone claims to be a Christian but then rejects the faith, does not return, that means they were never a Christian to begin with. 
someone was part of the church but then left, never comes back, never repents, and that person is giving evidence that they were never a believer to begin with. So what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying, stand firm where you are. Stand fast in the faith. Remember what you were. Remember what Christ has done and reconcile you and stand firm in that. Listen to what he says again in verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast. That word continue means to, it means to literally to, to abide upon, to live upon, stand upon, dwell upon, be grounded upon. And then he says, be firmly established and steadfast. These are words that are related to, to a building being, being strongly built and uh, to not falling down. And so what he is saying here that, that the believer should be firmly established, should be grounded, should be built up upon the gospel. And that if you continue in that, if you stand firm in that, then you know that you have been reconciled. When Al Mohler became president of Southern Seminary in 1993, he came to a seminary that was in shambles. It, this was a, a seminary that once stood on the Word of God, but over time had progressively gotten uh, away from the Word of God. And so there were professors there at that time who denied the truthfulness of Scripture, professors who uh, accepted homosexuality as being okay, professors who denied miracles, professors who denied the reality of heaven and hell. And when Dr. Moeller got there, his first sermon that he gave during chapel was entitled, Don't Just Do Something, Stand There. Don't just do something, stand there. And what he was saying in there is that what we need to do is we need to stand upon the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And in light of what the church at Colossae was facing, Paul is saying the same thing. Don't move away from what you have heard. Remember and stand firm upon the gospel. And today the same truth rings out to us as Grace Baptist Church. We are a church that God has blessed we are a church that is doing so well in so many ways. We must remember. Remember where we came from in our lives and remember what Christ has done and stand firm. Church, we must stand firm upon the truth of God's word, unwavering, unswerved. We must be a people who stand firm upon that. So, beloved, we are a body that is called to remember. Called to remember where you came from. Now, I recognize that there are probably some in this room who have not been reconciled. And so, with this, I want to remind you, and I want you to think that you are separated from a holy God. That your sin has separated you. There is a wide chasm there that cannot be bridged by you. And the wrath of God is being stored up. As Revelation says, the smoke of the torment of those who do not believe will go up forever and ever. Repent. Turn to him. He forgives. Those of us who have been reconciled, 
believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, remember, remember what it is that God has done in your life and stand firm upon the gospel. Stand. You know how we do that? We do that by feasting upon the word. You know, too often we treat the word as a fast food meal where we drive through McDonald's drive through because we're in a hurry and we scarf something down because we're on our way to the next thing. And too often we treat the word of God in the same way. We just scarf it down. But we have a treasure here. We have the greatest feast that man has ever known. And you want to stand firm? We want to be a body that stands firm, unshaken, unmoved. That we must be a people who feast. Feast upon the word. Taking it in. Nourished upon it. So church, let's remember and let us stand firm. What we're going to do now is we're going to just respond in worship. We have heard about the work that, that God has done in reconciling us. So I'm going to ask Matt to come up and the musicians to come up. And we're going to just simply respond by singing. And so if you are reconciled, Stand and simply sing in joy for the work that God has done in your life. Stand as we sing.